Somebody's crying. All right, good morning. Uh, If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bible, if you haven't yet, to the book of Philemon. Be back there again this morning. I'm going to try to focus on verses 17 through 19, at least the first part of verse 19 today. Uh, we'll read those verses here just in a minute. But uh, just to kind of review, if you want to say, uh, you remember the, the general gist of the letter. Of course, it's, it's literally a personal letter written by Paul to Philemon for a specific reason. But uh, the interesting thing about that, again, is that God saw fit to include it in Scripture. And so it's, it's, uh, it's more than just a letter from Paul to Philemon, of course, all right? And so uh, there's, you know, although it's a personal letter, there's, there are a lot of pictures and spiritual lessons for us in this, and we're going to talk about some of those again today. Uh, but it's, it's an important letter. And uh, when, when you think of salvation, all right, I was, I was thinking about making a list up here, but instead of trying to write it, just, just uh, when you think about salvation, all right, there are, there are a number of words, all right, doctrinal words, obviously, that, that pertain to that. In fact, probably far more than what we would uh, even be able to take the time to, to uh even reflect on this morning, but what are some of the words that come to your mind when you think of salvation uh, as far as like doctrines involved in salvation? What are some of the words that come to your mind? All right, justification. That's that's an important word. Redemption, all right. Being born again, all right. Faith. Reconciliation, all right, availability, Um, there's a particular word I'm thinking of, but I can't think of it right now, would you say? Propitiation, all right, that's that's a word we're actually talking about a couple of these this morning here, but uh, what else? All right, that's an interesting concept there. Is salvation free? (laughs) But, I mean, you ever heard the term, there's no free lunch, you know? Everything costs somebody something. And and salvation is freely offered to us, that's for sure. But it did cost cost God a lot in reality. Uh, But... The freeness of salvation certainly is an important aspect of salvation. I mean, there's a lot of things, and part of the purpose why I I wanted to bring that up and get you thinking about some of that is there is far more involved in our salvation than what we really probably even could ever think of, okay? Uh, But there's, there's a lot more in it than what we generally think of, all right, at least, you know, from on a day-to-day basis. We, we take a lot of things for granted. And when God saved you, there was a lot that was involved in that. And uh, some of those, you know, some of the words that we even talked about, some of them, uh, they're, 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 they have different angles, if you want to say. In other words, some of those pertain to us, all right? Are, you know, in other words, they're, they're the way we look at salvation. Some are, some of those words are more pertaining to God, the way He looks at salvation. And, and uh, there's a lot of, lot of, lot of different things uh, involved in that. But when, when we think of uh, salvation, you know, it, again, you could, we could, you could probably study uh, the doctrines of salvation as presented in the Bible for a long, long time and never, never exhaust it. There's a lot involved in it, all right? And, uh, and that said, obviously, it's something we ought to be very thankful for. Um, again, this morning, our, our, the focus of our, of our look this morning is going to be at verses 17 through 19. But I wrote three names up here. Remember the first lesson we talked about? We 
we went through and we picked out names that were in the book. There's a lot of different names of people. Um, a lot of them at the end, some at the very beginning you know, in, the, in the greeting and so on. But the three main characters, if you want to word it that way, in the book are these three names. Philemon, of course, you know, the book's addressed to him. He's, he's the one written to. Paul, he's the one writing the letter. And he, he obviously is a very key figure in the story here. And then Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, again is uh, the one that it's about, if you want to say, all right? Uh, because really the letter is Paul's writing to Philemon to beseech Philemon to receive Onesimus back, all right? And there's a lot of things involved in this. Onesimus had wronged Philemon. We're going to see that this morning. He had wronged him, and he was, he was apparently a slave who belonged to Philemon. He did some things. We don't necessarily know what all the specifics of those were, but he had wronged Philemon. He had run away, came in contact with Paul, apparently in Rome, and now because of that interaction now, Onesimus is now a believer. Philemon was a believer, remember? And a lot of good things are, are mentioned in the first seven verses about Philemon and his character and, and so on. And uh, Paul, you know, some say that Paul was just kind of buttering him up to uh, ask him this favor. I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think Paul was very sincere in what he wrote. Again, because this is scripture. It's not just some human letter. Uh, and so uh, I, I think we can, we can take for granted that Paul was being sincere. And the things that he wrote about Philemon were actual. He wasn't just flattering him. These were actual character qualities of Philemon. In fact, part of, the, part of the whole basis of why he's writing is because Philemon was a good man, he, would, he was writing to him with confidence that he would do the right thing. And, uh, you know, generally, people, now again, human beings, we can let each other down, right? But generally, generally speaking, you can have confidence in the right people, all right? Uh, there's some people, unfortunately, you can't have confidence in at all. Uh, in fact, it seems that the majority of our society today is that way. But there are some people you can have confidence in, thankfully. And, uh, and so as we, we, we think about this, remember that that's the, the general story of the letter here. So let's do this. Let's just, let's, I'll just read it because it's just a short portion here. There's no way everybody get a turn in, uh, in these three verses, but let me read verses 17, 18, and 19. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll start into this here this morning, all right? So here, Paul says in verse 17, the, the Bible says, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it. <clears throat> with mine own hand, I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, this morning again we ask for your help as we look at this portion of Scripture and, and really the important uh, doctrinal pictures that are here relating to our salvation and particularly relating to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, Lord, we, we want to thank you for him, and we pray that you'd help us to appreciate him more this morning, uh, although I don't know that we could ever fully appreciate him in this life, but help us to be more appreciative this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray, amen. We've seen some reasons, all right, as, as Paul, the, the gist, again, of the letter is he's writing to Philemon to, there's a key word here. We mentioned this last week for the first time, but in verse 12 and verse 17, this, this same word appears, uh, but it's the key word, really, for, for what's being written about here. What would, what would that word be, you think? It's the word receive. Paul's asking, he's beseeching Philemon to receive Onesimus back. And this is a very important word. In fact, I, I'm, I, I'm getting a little bit off of, of the lesson plan, okay, but I think this is, this is important enough to think about for a minute. 
We often hear the word, talk about the word receive when it comes to salvation, don't we? It's probably one of the most common words that's used at least today when it comes to salvation. However, when we think of it in in relation to salvation, I would dare say that we most often think about it from our perspective, right? That we are to receive Christ. But let me just say that probably more important than that aspect of that is the flip side of that, that God receives us. If that weren't the case, we wouldn't have salvation. All right. Uh, In other words, I guess trying to think of it this way. Yes, we have responsibility in order to be saved. All right. It's offered to us. We have to respond, number one, to what God has done in providing salvation, but we also have to respond to his offer of salvation, okay? And, and the word received is a biblical word that's used regarding that. However, again, we often maybe even don't even think about it, but the flip side of that is God has to receive us in salvation. And this is something that's extremely, extremely important. And in this letter, again... The whole point of the letter is Paul's asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back. Right now, in the letter, think of it this way these three people, these are the three main characters. Think of the picture, okay, as in in thinking about Bible doctrine in relation to salvation and so on. Think of the picture this way Philemon would picture. now, Now, let me put a disclaimer before I even mention this because just like any pictures in the Bible. There's not a one one picture that's 100% fully accurate of every detail, okay? But they're there for reasons, and, and when you put all those pictures together, they give us a good picture, okay? But Philemon would picture God the Father here, God who receives sinners, all right? Paul would picture the Lord Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of the aspects of what Christ does in salvation is he is a mediator, all right? He is the one that goes between God and the sinner to bring them back into a right relationship, okay? And then Onesimus, he's the slave that ran away. He's the one that sinned against Philemon here, right? Onesimus pictures the sinner, pictures us, all right, uh, in, in this letter in this whole scenario, and again, the picture, the spiritual pictures here regarding salvation. So if you keep that in mind as you think through this, it it helps things fall into place and make a little bit more sense here, all right? So we've seen a number of reasons so far that Paul's writing and he's he's beseeching Philemon to, to receive Onesimus back. Now, there's different words translated receive in the New Testament. And, uh, and, and this particular one, if you remember, has the idea of, of actually like taking one to, you know, into your own private circle, so to speak. In other words, kind of welcoming, welcoming you into your family, welcoming you into your home, that kind of an idea. That's this particular word. And Twice the word occurs here that Paul's asking Philemon to receive Onesimus, all right? And so, we, again, we've seen some reasons. So picking up in verse 17, let me get on track here now, and we, we see that Paul's continuing his appeal on some other grounds here. Now, uh, it's, we can also see here that Philemon should receive Onesimus back, and there's two main reasons that are brought out in this verse, and really... Again, we could, we could see how these focus on, when it comes to salvation, the Lord Jesus himself, all right? So the first thing here you see is Paul's relationship to Philemon. Look at verse 17 again. He says, if thou count me, therefore, a partner, all right, receive him as myself. So in other words, if you really consider me a partner, Philemon, 
You need to receive Onesimus back, right? So the relationship that Paul and Philemon have here is used as a basis for this appeal here. All right, and first of all, you see he uses the word partner, so you think of this partnership. Paul considered Philemon to be a partner in the faith. We saw that even earlier, how he, he mentions that he was dearly beloved. He was a fellow laborer, and we don't have any evidence that, that Philemon was ever going around preaching the gospel in different cities and so on, right, like Paul was, but he had a part, and Paul, Paul considered him to be part of his ministry, right? Again, because he was at least supportive of that through prayer and probably financial and you know, probably physical means and so on. But he considered him a partner. All right? And so this partnership here, and basically Paul's writing to him and saying, if you consider me a partner, he's already mentioned that he considers Philemon a partner, but if you consider me a partner, you need to receive Onesimus back. That's an interesting appeal, isn't it? All right? If you really receive me... Uh, then you need to do this. And if two people are really partners in something, all right, that, that's the idea that they have equality, right? Whether it's a business or whatever it is, okay? I mean, you could, in a way, you think of that as a marriage, all right? There's a husband and a wife are partners, right? There, there's equality there. And sometimes one asks the other for something, right? Maybe on a similar basis, you know? This is, if you really love me, then you, you should do this or something of that sort. Yeah, all the guys are laughing at that one. Anyway, uh, but this, this idea of a partnership here, this camaraderie here, right? Uh, because they did have a, 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 a fellowship, a communion here, right? And so Paul's expressing the fact that Philemon had a good uh, relationship and one was, one that was good enough that Paul could base his appeal uh, on this. I didn't pass them out, did I? All right. I guess we'll do that. There's two there. Since I can't talk and walk at the same time, I got to pause. All right. And there are a few, uh, few extra ones here if anybody else needs them for anything. All right, anyway, I, sorry, I forgot to pass those out. But uh, he's appealing to him on, his, on this idea of his partnership. Now also, all right, secondly, think about the person involved. Paul, all right, here, writing, asking Philemon. Paul urged Philemon to receive or welcome Onesimus just like he would himself. Notice in verse 17 again, first part he says, if you count me as a partner, so that's, if you're counting me as a partner, receive him. But then notice what he says, receive him, notice those last two words in verse 17, as myself. That is an interesting thing, because it would be one thing for Philemon to get this letter from Paul, all right, Onesimus and probably the man Tychicus shows up with this letter. And imagine, first of all, just he shows up. All right, but he shows up with this letter, Paul saying to receive him. It would be one thing for Philemon to say, okay, he, he lets him come back. But when Paul adds the words, receive him as myself, that adds a whole different twist to it. Because, again, think of this, okay? If, even, even if before Onesimus had run away and wronged Philemon, do you think that, just thinking about it normally, that Onesimus would have had the same standing with Philemon that Paul had, if Paul showed up at his door? Wouldn't seem reasonable that he would, right? But Paul's telling Philemon here, receive him, but receive him just like you would receive me. Receive him like you would me. Receive him in my place, but receive him as me. This is an interesting thing here. Again, when, well, I'm going to try to, after we go through these reasons, pull all this back and, and look at this as, as it pictures salvation. 
But this is, a, this is a, an important aspect of, of this that often is overlooked, all right? He's urging Philemon to receive, to not just allow, but to welcome Onesimus back, treat him like he would treat Paul. Paul you know, treat him like you would treat me, Paul's saying. That's, that's an interesting thing here, all right? Uh, but then the point, let me just you see this here as well. Because of the relationship between Philemon and Paul, and now Onesimus to Paul. Remember, Onesimus has become saved. He's, he's gotten saved. So he and Paul, Paul considers Onesimus his brother. He calls him several times through here without going back and looking at all the verse. He calls him his son. Uh, verses we looked at last week, he even says, well, in verse 12, the first time he uses the word receive, he says, receive him, that is, mine own bowels. In other words, he's, he's like he's my begotten son. I mean, all of these are extremely important uh, aspects of this whole appeal here. But, but because of these relationships now, Philemon was to cordially receive Onesimus back, treating him no less than he would treat the apostle. Now think of this, to do less than that, Philemon would be showing contempt for Paul. If Paul and Philemon had such a great relationship, which they did, they were good friends, partners, all right, in the Lord's work, and Paul says, you need to receive him like me, if Philemon had not received him just like he would receive Paul, that would be demonstrating that he didn't have a, good, a high regard for Paul. So there's a second reason. Again, I'm going to try to go through this, and then we'll tie this in and looking at it as the spiritual pictures of salvation here. But notice, secondly, another reason you see in verse 18 and 19 here uh, that he's writing, asking him to receive him back, not just because of, of uh, the person of Paul, the, you know, who Paul was and their relationship and so on, but now notice also because of Paul's ability, apparently. Now, again, this, this is kind of in some ways hard for me to fathom because Paul's a prisoner right now, but Paul's ability to right Onesimus's wrongs. Notice verse 18. All right, he says, If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. Put what, whatever debt he has to you now. Put it to me, is what Paul's saying. And then verse 19, I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Again, this is, this is some amazing stuff here, if you think about it. But Paul's telling Philemon, if he's done whatever he's done wrong to you, whatever he owes you, I will take care of it. Now, I have no idea what Paul's actual ability to financially and everything would have been here, but he is guaranteeing to Philemon, and he basically, it's like he's signing his name to it, just like a contract, you know, I'm, I'm putting my name there. I'll take care of it. I'll make it right. Whatever he's stolen, whatever he's done, I'll make it right, Okay. But Paul's ability to right Onesimus' is wrong is another reason that Paul's saying, you need to receive him back, because I'll take care of his wrong. And Ones think about this, okay, Onesimus is wrong. Since the if here represents a condition assumed to be true, it's commonly accepted that Onesimus must have stolen from his master before he ran away or done some sort of wrong. Uh, the particular word here, wronged, uh, it could have a couple different aspects, but to do to act unjustly, to mistreat, it could even be the idea that he injured Philemon. He may have attacked him. I mean, hit it, whatever it was. But Paul's saying, "I'll make it right." And then he says down in verse eighteen, also oweth the odd. If whatever he owes you is the idea, I'll take care of it. Now again. When you think about Paul's ability, you got Onesimus is wrong, you got Paul's ability. Paul was a, a prisoner of the Roman government here at the time of this writing. He instructed Philemon to put whatever it was that Onesimus owed him on his, Paul's, personal account. Now, again, I have no idea what kind of funds Paul would have had access to or whatever, but Paul was confident. Now, again, 
He's not just making this up because this is part of Scripture. This is sincere, and God included it in Scripture. I mean, Paul was going to make good on whatever it was. However he would have had to have done that, we don't necessarily know, but he was willing to make it good. And the point, I mean, even, even that he would be willing to make it good is something. But he's saying, I'll make it right to you is the idea. All right, And so uh, whether or not Paul even had the funds to cover the debt, again, to me, you know, I don't know, but he was willing to do whatever might have been necessary to make the wrongs right, to pay back the stolen money or replace the stolen property or whatever the situation would have demanded. He solemnly told Philemon, I have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. I mean, this is, this is amazing here. But what a spirit and desire on Paul's part to see this estranged slave reconciled back to his master here. All right? Now, obviously, much of this is due to the fact that Onesimus, you know, his conversion, his new relationship he had with Paul, but now a new relationship that he could enjoy with Philemon as well. Now, again, now we get to this where we can look at this in the sense of pictures in our salvation, pictures of Christ. This is, this is uh, often maybe overlooked, at least in pr what I would call typical presentations of salvation that, that I would hear and, and things of that. But uh, there, there's some wonderful, wonderful things here and very important aspects of our salvation. All right? Uh, so, again, keep in mind, as far as a picture, Philemon... His position, at least, would represent God the Father. Onesimus, his position here represents the sinner. We're the ones that have wronged God, right? And when Adam sinned, man became estranged from God. He was separated from God. Man's sin came between. I don't know how to draw sin, so we'll just say like this. Man's sin came between God and, and man put a barrier there. Man's relationship to God changed. It's not the same as what it was before Adam sinned. And, you know, the Bible then describes that we're born into that now, right? Uh, we, we all start out that way. But, again, what the Lord Jesus did in salvation, think about this, all right? Just, we got a few minutes, take take. Think, what did, what did Jesus do regarding salvation for us? What did he do? All right. Well, we can go down on all kinds of things. But, I mean, but think about this, all right? Well, probably, probably to me, one of the better passages that gives the, the overview I'm talking about, okay? Look at uh, Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 2. I mean, obviously, there's a whole lot here, but just trying to get a little bit of a picture, you know, in our minds here, all right? Philippians 2 excuse me, verse 5, and the whole point of this particular passage is to teach us humility, by the way. That's the point in its context, all right? But look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. Now, let me just say this, all right? Uh, this is in complete agreement with John chapter 1, all right? God the Son, he, the Lord Jesus, He is eternal God the Son. He always has been God. There's never a time that He hasn't existed, but there's never a time that He hasn't been God. He is God. All right? Being God already is the idea. Time, the timing here of, of, of this, He already was God is the idea lost my place, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't stealing from God. It wasn't something he was trying to grasp. You know, he was equal with God. He always has been. 
God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit, all equal. But then verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So there was a, a point in time when God the Son became man. He hasn't always been man. He became man, took on him the form of a man. He became a servant. The, these are all, and again, in the, in the, the particular aspect that, of this context is, it's, it's the emphasis is on the fact that God the Son was willing to humble himself and become a man. I mean, think about it, and, and I don't know that we can truly get every, all our minds are wrapped around it, but we're talking about God who became man. Just that aspect of it is a great act of humility. The creator became part of his creation. And we're talking about God. I mean, what does God deserve? God deserves all the majesty and worship and honor and everything that everybody collectively could ever give and more because we would all fall short in doing that. But he deserves that, but he was willing, the point of this is that God the Son was willing to lay that aside. That's what he deserved. That's his right because of who he is. He's willing to lay that aside and put on the robe, if I can word it that way, of servanthood and became a man. Now, and, and you could go, I mean, look at the circumstances into which he was born. Look at the circumstances in which he lived his life. He didn't come to this earth and live, you know, in Herod's palace. I mean, every aspect of what God the Son did was an act of humility. And then the, whole, the, you know, the point of the passage, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Every one of those statements is like, he did this, but then he, he even did this, and he, it's like each one gets more and more and more and more an act of humility. And this is what he did. I mean, again, this is one passage. There's a lot of what he did. And, and this doesn't even you know, describe all the, the different things that he endured and so on, but it just says he humbled himself, became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. But when we think about what God has done, you know, God the Son has done for us, it's amazing, all right? And here, here's, here's the thing, okay? And, and the point of this, this particular uh, idea of this is, think of what Paul, the two bases that Paul is writing to Philemon that we saw this morning, Paul's relationship to Philemon, which means who Paul is, who Philemon is. Okay, when you think of that in relation to the picture here of salvation, who is Paul, who is Philemon, who is God the Son, who is God the Father? They have a relationship, an eternal relationship. They're one. They're, I mean, uh, and, and the point is, because of that relationship, we can be received. Okay, now beyond that then, not just the relationship, but Paul's ability to right Onesimus' wrongs. Remember, Paul said, whatever he's done, I'll make it right. When you think of that picture in relation to our salvation, all right, Paul's saying to Philemon, receive Onesimus just like you would me. Because of our relationship, I want you to receive him. But then Paul also says in this passage, whatever he has done to wrong you, I'll take care of it. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus 
has done absolutely everything that's necessary for God to be able to forgive and to forgive justly. We mentioned a little bit about that last week when we were talking about forgiveness, but this is an amazing thing if you think about it. God is holy. And that's, you know, that's a term that the Bible uses that, again, it's probably way beyond our ability to truly appreciate. But God is holy. Sin is, I mean, is terrible to God. We, we don't appreciate how terrible sin is. And I don't know that we really can. I mean, you know, hopefully when we get to heaven, that will be the case. But in this life, I mean, because sin's so much a part of us. I mean, we, we don't think sin is nearly as bad as it is, even, even when we try to have a biblical view of it. But this is the whole thing, is our sin is so serious that it cost God. The Lord Jesus, I, I think we may have mentioned this a little bit last week as well. You know, I mean, God's all-powerful. He's, he's God. He, he, you know, spoke the worlds into existence. He, but, but God couldn't just say, okay, I'll forgive you, and it'd be done. Because sin had to be taken care of somehow. He had to actually do something. He couldn't just speak it. He had to do something so that sin could be taken care of and for us to be able to be forgiven by him. And the Lord Jesus did that. That's that, that passage we read in Philippians 2. He, I mean, that's just a, an overview of it, but he did all that was necessary so that God could forgive us and God would still be righteous, holy, and just. We, we, somebody read that passage last week there in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 to 26. I mean, God can be just and the justifier of him which, that believeth on Jesus. And, and in all of this, okay, again, the whole point is the picture of reception. I don't know that we, we think about that nearly as much as we should because, again, we, we focus it on you and I. We need to receive Christ, which is true, okay? But... God receives us. What, there's a song, God receiveth sinful men. I don't remember the name of the song now, but uh, I think that's it, right? Christ receiveth, Christ receiveth sinful men. But you think about that. God is willing to receive us. I mean, it's kind of easy for us to think about Philemon and Onesimus because we can all picture people that have wronged us, you know, and, and we think about that. But our wrong to God, again, is far greater than Onesimus' wrong to Philemon and anybody who's wronged you. And I'm not making light. I mean, some people in this life have suffered some terrible things. It's true. But it still does not compare to what we've done to God. Our sin cost God the Son dearly. It cost God the Father dearly. You know, we, we often quote John 3.16, wonderful verse, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's a pretty steep price. He gave. Who'd He give? God the Son. He gave so that we could be saved. That's, that, that's the point. Why? So that he could save us and him still be God. And no less holy. No less just. But, so think about that. All right, I got five words on your, on your handout there that kind of describe this. Relationship, that's a word there, right? Because of Christ's relationship to the Father, God will hear his intercession for the believing sinner, all right? Um, in other words, in this picture, Paul is the go-between, the mediator, the advocate between Onesim you know, trying to get Onesimus reconciled back to Philemon. 
And in the, it's interesting here in this picture, Paul expresses that he had utmost confidence that Philemon would welcome him back because Paul was who he was. And in these particular verses, because Paul said, I'll make you, whatever wrong he's done, I'll make it right. Do you realize that God the Son has made wrong, what, what, was, what man has done wrong right? That's an amazing thing. Uh, but relationship here, all right? And, and it's the believing sinner's identification with Jesus that gives clearance or acceptance with God. Can somebody turn, and I didn't have it warned, I understand, but Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, I believe it is, is the verse. All right, Tim, got that. Praise the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. All right, he's made, it's just one of those statements there in Ephesians 1 that's describing some of the benefits we have in salvation. But there it says that He's made us accepted in the Beloved. Uh, that's an amazing statement. Now, I, and by the way, I used to think that, that that verse was saying that he's made us accepted, you know, like in his family and his, that his beloved are those that he loves and so on, which, I mean, that, that's true as far as it goes. But what that verse, the, the beloved in that verse is Christ. And he's made us accepted in Christ. And by the way, it's only because of Christ that we have any hope of being accepted by God. It's not because of us. It's not because of me. It's not, you know, not because of you, but it's because of him. Now, ability. Look at, think of that, this word. The sinner has no ability to come to God or to merit any favor from God on his own. When, when John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, it's not because he's looking down and he's saying, oh, they're so lovey-dovey and lovable and cute. And, you know, like we look at babies and, oh, they're so, you know. Uh, that's not the point of that. The point is because God, his care, he is love. And he decided to love us. And because of that, he did what was necessary so that we could experience his love and we could have a relationship with him. But the ability is Christ. It's not ours. That's my point. We have no ability whatsoever to make ourselves right before God. You know, think about this. What if in, in just the human side of it, okay, what if Onesimus had gone back to Philemon, returned whatever he had stolen, apologized, and, you know, said, I'll, you know, I'll work so-and-so this to make things back, you know, put things, all this kind of stuff. I mean, does that seem that reasonable? Maybe Philemon would have welcomed him back? Eh, maybe so. But the point is, that's far different. Again, this is, this is just kind of a picture here of salvation. But what Onesimus did to Philemon has no comparison to our sin and what it's done to God and how offensive our sin is to God. There is absolutely no way that we could repay God. None whatsoever. Only Jesus can pay the debt caused by our sin, and he has full ability to do so. I mean, that's an amazing thing when you think about it. Was it last week we mentioned? I mean, in reality... You know, if we're consistent with our theology, we would have to say that if Adolf Hitler had repented and trusted Christ before he died, I mean, Adolf Hitler, right? That God would have saved him. Not because he was Adolf Hitler, but because of Christ. I mean, that, and, and the point is of that, that is how sufficient Christ who he is and what he's done is that anybody and everybody could be made right with God because Christ has done what he's done and because of who he is, all right? So ability, propitiation, this word was mentioned earlier. Propitiation is the basis on which sin can be taken care of before God. This is a word that has to do with salvation from God's perspective, not from our perspective. Right? As God looks at it, God has to be satisfied because he's the one that was wronged. 
He's, you know, his holiness is, was offended, but God is fully satisfied in Christ and through what Christ has done for us so that he can welcome the believing sinner. I mean, again, this, this is it's through Christ. And it's all Christ. I mean, that's, you know, Christ and his shedding of his own precious blood. The word propitiation only occurs several times in the New Testament, and at least two of three times it's connected with the blood of Christ. It's the shed blood of Christ is what satisfies the holiness of God. And, you know, there's people in the world that make fun of that. I've heard that ridiculed, you know. Uh, and again, that's because people don't understand and they can't, they can't at all fathom uh, the goodness of God, the, the badness, terribleness of sin, and so on. But uh, Christ and the shedding of His blood, all right, is what satisfies God and provides the basis that God can extend forgiveness. All right? Now, let me move on because we're almost out of time. Imputation, word number four here. This is a, a, probably not talked about a great deal, but you, you've probably heard of it. But uh, to impute something means to put, put one thing from here to another place or from one account to another account. It's kind of like if you transferred money in your bank to, from one account to another, that kind of an idea. In fact, it was basically a banking term. In the, in the first century, but uh, the idea here is this is involved in salvation, all right? When, uh, you know, think about this, salvation always has both a positive and a negative side. Uh, for instance, salvation must involve the forgiveness of sins, all right? Sins have to be taken care of, right? But do you realize that before God, in order to have a relationship with Him, it's not just the forgiveness of sins that counts, we have to have righteousness before God. And the righteousness of Christ is imputed to our account. It's put to us. That's why God can welcome us because we have, if you're saved, you have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. Uh, one of the descriptions used of unsaved people in the New Testament is the word unrighteous. And by the way, that's true of every human being. All right? But there are some people save people, there are some people in the New Testament that are described with the phrase, made righteous. Having been made righteous, we have peace through His blood, uh, Colossians 1. Uh, and so, but the interesting thing is, it's never worded as we are righteous, it's we've been made righteous because we receive the righteousness of Christ. It's, it's, it's put into our account. Like, again, as a bank, it's like Christ puts his money into Andy's account, so now Andy's rich, all right? Uh, but imputation, it's put to his account. And then the last word here, justification, all right? Uh, ever, you probably heard the term. Uh, now I thought, forgot what I was going to say. You, you probably heard the term, the description, just as if I've never sinned. I mean, that, that sounds kind of trite, so to speak, but in a way, that's exactly what it is because the point is justification is a legal term. Imputation was a banking term. Justification is a legal term. And so it is the judge slamming the gavel and saying, not guilty. Now, there's different reasons maybe in a human court that that could be the case, all right? But the point is, because Christ has, and if I can word it this way, He's paid the fine for your sin, there is no more, uh, the law, it's fulfilled what the, the, the fine that the law demanded, so it's released. The debt can be forgiven, it can be canceled because of that. And so God declares the just the, the believing sinner to be righteous. That's what justified means. You're right. You're declared to be righteous, and God treats the believing sinner righteous. That's an important aspect of it that's sometimes not mentioned with that. It's more than just a declaration. God from that point on treats you as if you're righteous. You don't have any debt owed to him anymore regarding that. 
It's satisfied. It's paid in full. And, and, but again, all of those things, and, and there's so much more that you could talk about with that, but all of that goes back to and is involved in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. Salvation is all Christ and who He is and what He's done for us. And God can welcome the sinner because of Christ. Just like Paul told Philemon, receive Onesimus just as if you were receiving me. How would, Paul, how would uh, Philemon receive Paul? I'm sure he would have been at the door waiting for him, welcomed him in, give him you know, the best seat in the house, you know, prop his feet up and give him the best food he had and all of that. Do you realize that in eternity, in Romans 8, talks about how that we have been made heirs of God? And then it even used the phrase joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words, think of it this way. God, Christ, shares everything that's really His with us. That's amazing. But again, it's all because of Him. It's not, we don't deserve a bit of it. That's not the point. We, we deserve nothing. It's Christ. And God loves, God the Father loves God the Son enough that any sinner will be welcomed in Him. Doesn't matter again if it's Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Osama bin Laden, whoever. And those are, you know, serious names to consider, but, you know, Mike Reeder. Everybody else here, all right? I mean, it's Christ and Him. And that's, that's why Paul's writing to Philemon for Onesimus. Just receive him like you'd receive me. Whatever he's wronged you in, I'll take care of it. And do you realize that what Christ did has satisfied God so much that he'll never think again, you owe me this. It's paid in Christ. Christ has taken care of it. He's fully satisfied God. Amazing. i got to stop. But what wonderful salvation God has provided in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, just your, your, I mean, again, seems so trite to say it, but your great goodness and grace. It's so amazing. I pray that you would just help us to be appreciative of it and serve you because we love you for what you've done for us. And uh, obviously there's no way we could serve you to please you as far as earn your favor. But help us to serve you as we ought because of Christ. We ask these things in His name. Amen.